Well, good morning. Welcome to East Lake Online. My name is Brent, and we are here right now. It's 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, and we are at the mostly empty Uptown Theater. Uh, it is Memorial Day weekend, so there's a good chance that uh, many of you are camping and watching this on delay or on replay or whatever. Uh, but there is a handful I saw in the chat uh, of you watching uh, live, and so thanks for making this. I know you didn't have like a ton of options, but we're so glad that you're here this morning as we continue with part six uh, of our series that we've been working on. Now what? Uh, we are in that spot where we're still kind of hanging on waiting, and I, I feel like we're just getting good at this, and it's one of those things where just as you're getting good at something, something's going to change, uh, but uh, kudos to you for uh, figuring this out and getting online as well today. Um, our series has been on flourishing, and the question really started off with, what if central to the teaching of Jesus was content on really like a better way to live? Um, what if God was actually interested in human flourishing? Because the, the, the issue has always kind of, or has felt like, if, especially if you're not like particularly religious, um, that like God kind of created this and like set things in motion and like isn't really happy or isn't concerned about what you do uh, with life as, a, as opposed to just uh, having certain like disciplines and, and uh, not doing all the things that are, are, are fun based on some rules and some whatever generalities in terms of uh, scripture and whatever. And so uh, the idea that God would be interested in, in flourishing, the idea that, that the uh, levels at which you uh, live your life and enjoy all of the, the, the fruits of your labor, um, uh, all of the good things uh, that are in life uh, as an example of bringing glory to him kind of stands in stark contrast. And yet what we see in Matthew chapter five verse uh, or through chapter seven is this idea of Jesus's teaching, a collection of Jesus's teachings on what a good life sort of looks like in this way. Um, we said at the very beginning of the series, it's his, his way of saying, hey, here it is. Here's what the best way to do life looks like. You'd have to believe, obviously, that he has the moral authority to provide value to that statement, um, because that's critical for this. Um, because there have been people that have said to you, man, isn't this a great life? Like, you're like over at their house, and they're in the front yard, and they got the above ground pool, and they're sitting in the inner tube smoking Marlboro Reds, and being like, isn't this the life? And you're like, nah, it's your life. It's not my life. Um, there's a way in which the value at which you uh, um, look at somebody and be like, okay, that's, that's a good way, that's a good person or whatever. Um, I honor, I respect them and whatever they say then goes. And so this is just his version of this. So again, if you're not really particular, but just have no affinity towards Jesus, this is take it or leave it. If you're a Christian, that kind of speaks a little bit differently. And for Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, he uh, had the opportunity uh, that very uh, few people had to be able to follow along Jesus and hear him teach in so many different ways. And um, after Jesus was, was gone, uh, 20, 30, 40 years after all of that, he had a chance to kind of collect for perpetuity for all of us, for his audience, for who he thought needed to hear the teachings of the persons of Jesus, collect all of the things that he heard and put them down into five discourse teachings. So five blocks in his sort of uh, way of putting together his gospel story. Uh, and the first one is this vision of a good life, that God is interested in this. He, 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 uh, there's a value to human flourishing. Uh, and here is the best way to experience that sort of human uh, flourishing. So um, it's, it's, it was familiar, a familiar thing, a familiar tool in that time. There was a, a, uh, a lot of, they would call them wisdom texts. Aristotle had his, Plato had his, um, these way of, uh, of again, of, of living in a wise way. So 
Um, he had basically two primary concerns in mind as he was doing this. Uh, one, he begins with, I want you to be happy. Um, and so that's why we see in the Beatitudes portion in chapter five of Matthew, this idea of, oh, the joy, oh, the happiness, oh, the uh, energy that comes from people who live life in this way. And yet when he does it, we said it in like week two or something like he kind of takes his twist on it. He does these like, oh, the joy of somebody who's experiencing persecution for theirs, you know, and you're like, mm, that doesn't sound fun. Uh, oh, the joy of those who need mercy. Who, who, uh, oh, the joy of those who are going, have gone through something that requires uh, a level of mourning for they will be comforted. Like all of these, you thought it was this, but there's a happiness that lies underneath the surface if you'll dig a little bit more. And then we said, he goes into this idea of wholesomeness, this idea of living your life in an integrated self, living your life, all of you in this way. And he, he has lots of things to say about people who live divided lifestyles. People who um, give to something, but then also kind of um, in, in light of their generosity, yes, they've done good things, but they also reserve these thoughts of, aren't I a good person? Have I given as much as everybody else? Why isn't so-and-so giving as much as I have? And a lot of it comes down to the money issue um, because that's such a, such a huge piece of us. He says that where your heart is or where your treasure is, you can also find your heart. There's an identity portion of it in, in all of this. So, but like doing life in a holistic way, doing life with all of yourself and not in a divided being, that's a big deal. And this text isn't new to us. Um, we've talked through it before. We've always been, a community interested in learning what it would look like to love and to live in the way of Jesus. And typically we gather on Sunday mornings to do exactly that, interpret that for us, what this means in 2020 or beyond. But I asked the question at the beginning of the series and, and really the force behind this angle that we're taking this perspective, would it mean anything different to us now that our world is a little bit more different, a little bit more upside down than usual? Our priorities have sort of changed. Our pace of life has definitely changed. Uh, and that's the question that we're pursuing. And we are going forward in this. Um, what, what about this would we retain differently? What about um, this would ring more true or uh, more possible perhaps in, in this way? So for parts six and seven, this week and next week, as we finish up the series, we'll finish it up next week. Um, we're going to be looking at chapter seven. Um, so if you're doing your homework and, and reading on your own time, uh, go ahead and read through that chapter a couple times this week to kind of prepare yourself for this. But chapter seven, and a reminder for you um, that chapter breakdowns are a modern tool for navigation. I mean, Matthew wouldn't have understood what you meant when, if you like talked to him and be like, hey, so you wrote in chapter seven. He'd be like, what are you talking about? Um, that's there for us to kind of navigate it uh, easier. But that doesn't mean that Matthew wasn't methodical in his writing style. Um, we've said that he absolutely was. He was probably the most structured of the four. Um, uh, apostles who wrote the gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew's is like, you know, here's nine beatitudes for life. Here's six things that you've heard it said, but I tell you this. Here's three religious disciplines that I think you should definitely get right. I mean, all of these kind of resonate with those of us who are kind of structured individually in this way. But then, but right here in the beginning of chapter seven, um, it all just sort of changes a little bit. Like that structure kind of um, goes away a little bit. It, it kind of feels a little bit like it's all thrown together. Like previously there was this and then this and this. And then here it's like, I, I'm running out of time. I just got to, it's um, one commentator likened it to this. You remember those um, supermarket shows where the contestants would have like two minutes to go through the aisles and whatever they could fit in their cart they could have, they could take home and it was free. And like for the first minute or so, minute and a half, they would like run to the back of the store to go get the expensive things. But then as the clock was going down, there's like 15 seconds left. They're just throwing whatever they can fit. They're just like going down the aisle with their arms out and it's like 12 bucks of Cheez-Its. And that's how it works. That feels a little bit 
like chapter seven. So very structured, very organized, five and six. And then here it's just like, boom, 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 rapid fire. We're going to get these things out in this way. Um, the teachings or the lessons at this point don't have, seem to have at least uh, much relation to one another. But there are some pretty popular things. Like even if you're not particularly religious and didn't grow up in a church, there's going to be some things that show up in this text that in isolation you've probably heard before or heard messages on them before if you grew up in church. Um, judge not lest ye be judged. That's a very popular one. Um, don't worry about the you know, the uh, speck in your brother's eye when you've got a plank sticking out, a two by four coming out of yours. Ask and it will be given to you. That's pretty popular. When seeking you'll find, knocking the door shall be opened. Thou shall not cheer for the cowboys. At all at some point, we've heard all of these before. Like all of these have kind of been like, oh yeah, okay, I get that, I get that, I get that, whatever. But in the rest of our brief time together this morning, I want to look at just one of these um, uh, because I think it's important. And I think it resonates again with how have things changed perhaps now that we might read it differently now that we wouldn't have read it differently then. And it happens to be the very first one of these that I mentioned. It says this in Matthew chapter seven, verses one and two, do not judge unfairly lest you be judged in the same way or don't judge lest you be judged for by the kind of judgment with which you judge others, you will be judged. And with whatever measure you measure to others, it will also be measured to you. Now to be clear, um, it's not unique now that we've had an issue with judging other people. That's been a common uh, a principal competition, something that has been uh, for a long time, holding others to standards that we don't hold ourselves to. But perhaps you felt a bit of an uptick uh, considering the most recent circumstances. I mean, who hasn't heard over the last few weeks, now months or whatever, hey, look who's wearing a mask, right? Look who's not wearing a mask. Uh, look who's out driving around. Who? Look who's still open. Look who thinks they're essential. Look who thinks they're non-essential, right? Um, or in my world, look who's doing church, like for real, right? So all of these things can be a little bit under the cover, under the uh, auspices of judgment. Sometimes they're vocally presented, you know, on social media or whatever. But a lot of times it's just this internal, with people that we trust or just ourselves maybe sometimes. Um, and then we come across a verse like this and this is a common one that's brought up. Even people who are not religious know this verse or some version of it, right? Because um, they, they, they would say this because Christians have been like this track record of, of not living well into this verse. And so they are very judgmental. And then like the two Bible verses they know, um, like the whole idea of, of John three sixteen. but then also this one, and they don't know where it comes from. But they say, don't judge me. You're not supposed to judge me because you, you're going to be judged. Like, who are you to judge me, right? So like judgment has has got this like popular play. It's a very popular verse in this way. And it can feel a bit like that Superman meme or Spider-Man meme, I think it is, where like each Spider-Man is pointing at each other like, you, you can't judge me. And like, then the other person's like, but you're judging me for judging you. Wow, you know, I can't judge you for all of this. And you'd be like, I'm not judging you. I'm just questioning your ability to think rationally on some things. That's not judging. Part of the problem is in this way with this verse and this text, if Jesus says the best way to live your life is to not judge others because, you know, it's going to come back on you in this way. Uh, the problem with some of this is that Jesus instructs some of his disciples to do exactly this. In one, on one side of the coin, he's saying, don't judge others or else you're going to be judged in this way. But then he'll go to his disciples and he'll say to them, hey, don't throw your, don't cast your pearls before swine, which is basically him saying, um, you've been given a gift, um, this, this teaching of, 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 you know, revelation of a Messiah, of God, of good news and all this kind of stuff. Don't 
talk about it or don't waste your time with people who aren't interested. Or specifically in their time, it was a matter of who gets to hear it first, Gentiles or Jews. And he's like, don't waste your time with Gentiles. Speak only to the Jews. They're the ones that we're here for now. And that would extend beyond. And and there's context to that phrase because it can make Jesus look like a jerk a little bit. But that required discernment for them. Don't waste your time with people who either aren't interested or aren't worthy of it or whatever. Another time he'll tell his disciples, um, if you go and try and talk to people and they're not interested or you go to a town and they're, they like don't want to put up with you, then shake the dust off of your feet. It was a way of kind of wiping your hands clean of this and then kind of move along to the next city or whoever will accept you. A way of judging that these people you know, they're not worthy of it, or you have to make a judgment call. You have to know how far to go, how far is appropriate, how far is, well, I told them they just chose not to listen and then move on. Like there's judging in that way. Um, Another time is he would say to them, beware of wolves who dress up like sheep. Um, Beware of the people who look innocent and pure and, and really, they're always harboring something against you. They're always angling for you. Watch your step with those kind of people. Exercise judgment in that way. Um, be careful who you trust, right? All of these phrases to his disciples are exactly encouragements and uh, you know, reasons to judge and, and exercise discernment. And then you have him saying in like, hey, here's the best way to do life. Don't judge lest ye be judged. He gives Peter at one point. He hauls Peter on top of a mountain overlooking Caesarea Philippi. And he begins to ask him questions about, you know, who do people say that I am? And, you know, some would say this, some would say this. And then he says to him, who do you say that I am? I think that you're Jesus. I think you're the Messiah, the Christos, the Logos, the son of God. Like, I think like you're a game changer in this way. And Jesus comments to him, it's on this rock in there's perspective on whether that's Peter himself and that's what the Catholic church believed and all that kind of stuff. Or is it that teaching? Is that this, this idea that Jesus was different? It's on that rock. It's on that teaching uh, that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he goes on and begins to talk about the keys of the kingdom. And as the role of the church, the capital C church, not like East Lake specifically, but the church has in its history had the key, the proverbial keys to the kingdom. Like what you declare as good, people will perceive to be good. And what you declare as bad will be bad. This is a gift, but it's a dangerous gift. And it's one that has been abused over the centuries, right? What you say is good. What you bind and loose, he's using this like rabbinic language that they would have known about what kind of holds on into eternity and then what kind of goes away upon death. Like what you talk about as eternal and of value in that way, what's worth investing your life into, you have a unique perspective to be able to do that. Here's the authority uh, beware what you have, but here's the authority to make judgment calls, to be, I mean, honestly judging about this, about the way that people live their lives and what you think is right and what you think is wrong. What you declare to be right will have a big impact on what people think about the religious nature of how things work out in this way. Intuition has to be involved in life to some degree. Some matter of deciding what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is not good, what is beneficial, and what is injurious has, is always involved in this. I mean, part of living is calibrating your moral compass, compass to things that you consider to be quote unquote right. Now here's the deal. By the way, this is not isolated to religious things. Even if you're not religious, you believe this to some degree. 
even if you're not religious, you think like part of my existence is trying to discern what is right and what is wrong. And I'm going to adjust and calibrate my moral compass according to these sorts of things. So perhaps Jesus is referencing and referring to a tool for a more personal conscious discernment, but not a tool for attacking others. I mean, that's one way of how do you justify him saying this as the best way to live? And then in so many other examples, encouraging people to be judgmental um, in that way. Maybe it's a uh, personal thing and yet um, not a club to be used to kind of go against others, which is a very like reasonable um, explanation of it. This idea would be reinforced in other biblical writings. For instance, the brother of Jesus, um, the guy, a guy named James would write a, a gospel to- story, or a, a, not a gospel story, excuse me, a, a church text, a, a, a text to his church about right living. And in it, chapter four, verses 11 and 12, brothers and sisters, internal, by the way, dialogue amongst us as a community, do not slander one another. Anybody who speaks against a brother uh, or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? So in other words, you, there's a personal level of judging internally that is, is required to be able to do life, but beware when you begin to kind of do this exterior, you know, this whole idea of outside of the bounds of this. Paul in Romans 14 would say something similar in that way. I'm not going to read that text, but you can read it for yourself. So it's a real, it's a real tension. It's a real, what do we do with this? Um, how do we uh, live with this judge, not lest you be judged. But like, I also know that I kind of need to do some judging to be able to survive and have an internal moral compass that actually works. The spectrum of the word that Matthew uses here is actually pretty wide. So what I mean by that is he uses a Greek word in there called Kareno. And that word is translated in various different spots and, and has a wide spectrum of usage. It can mean on this end, judgment, which is condemnation. It can also be used on this end to be sort of judgment in terms of make the right choice of what you think you should do, operating in in wisdom, and then everywhere in between. So um, with that said, it's important to kind of look at which is the best usage for this. What is he trying to communicate? What's the, the motive behind the text that he's using in this way? When we begin to judge on the far right side of the spectrum, which I would classify as like this condemnation, this righteous condemnation. Um, Others, we are assuming the posture of God, and that would be very dangerous terrain for us to traverse, um, which is why Scott McKnight in his commentary says this, we must learn to distinguish moral discernment from personal condemnation. Moral discernment, personal condemnation. This distinction, the ability to know what is good from what is bad and to be able to discern the difference versus the posture of condemning another person enables us to see what Jesus prohibits in this passage. Um, in, in other words, just to kind of let, you know, boil that down into more tangible things that Brent understands. Uh, the difference between discernment, which is basically, I don't think this is right. I, don't, I, I think this is right, this is wrong. I think this is good. I think this is not good. That's discernment. Condemnation is you're doing it wrong. You are condemned by God because of what you believe in this way. And, and, and that would be the point where I think um, in that sort of interpretation, at that degree, on that level of the spectrum, Jesus would say, listen, the best way to live your life is to not go around pointing fingers going, you are condemned by God. You are condemned by God. Here's what God declares on you. 
Because in that sense, then I think what he's trying to communicate is you, 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 um, you're actually the one that are gonna, is going to receive that. that. That word, that's going to be mirrored back to you. Who are you to be the judge in that way? Right? That's a, that's a very extreme way of you are con- to declare what is condemned by God. Like we don't get that authority because he, he, he basically turns it back on us and says that's beyond that. Perhaps a better reading for us, I think, would be do not condemn or you too will be condemned by God. So how does that help us though now? Because it'd be, it's simple for me to stand here um, in front of a camera and you're watching this wherever you're watching this or listening wherever you're listening to this and being like, hey, um, hey Christians, um, stop going around condemning people and telling them there's like no hope for them. Like that's really not your job to be able to do that. But that's not like what you're doing most of the time, especially, especially in light of like, as we said, how has this current circumstance, you know, released this? I doubt any of you are judging others mask wearing or lack thereof as sort of a condemnation issue, right? (laughs) I mean, if you are, that's an issue and we probably need to talk about it. But I would imagine it, at that point we go, I don't think this has anything to do with internal ramifications. I just think you're a jerk or an idiot or just, you know, whatever. Um, so is this just a correction of misuse for our modern mindset then of who are you to judge me? John Wesley writes this, the judging that Jesus condemns here is thinking about another person in a way that is contrary to love. And when you factor in the love portion of this, um, that really like, I think as an element for us of saying, all right, I think it should be obvious. The bar is low when I say to you, hey, let's be people, let's be a church community who isn't going out and saying condemned, 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 pointing fingers. It's just not worth our time, right? Um, What does that have to do with love? If Jesus says everything about the entire Old Testament is boiled down into a couple of things, loving God vertically and loving your fellow man horizontally, and there's like this intersection of both of those things and and the... um, uh, the way that you can prove your love to me is by loving the people that I've created, my children, like all of that. If that's the case, then to say the bar of like, don't condemn, that feels really low. Like it doesn't feel like we're actually loving them by not calling them out on condemnation. There's probably still some room there is what I'm saying. There's a little meat left on that bone to be able to say, uh, what then do I do? How then do I operate? Another reading that I think fits within the spectrum of interpretation on that word, that judging word that is translated in our, our, our Bibles, and has, I think, better yields in terms of how we live now, is this. Don't judge unfairly. We can't avoid all evaluations of others and situations, but we can think about it through the lens of treat others the way that you'd want them to treat you, which he goes on to say in a little bit, like this is this idea, or this is encompassed in this whole Mathean teaching about what Jesus taught, the things that I remember about Jesus, him constantly coming back to this idea of a golden rule of living in this way, of loving others. And then he goes into this judging piece. And I think it's meant to be read in light of that. I think that that falls into line with the spectrum. And that, that feels a lot more relevant for us in terms of learning what it means um, to love. Um, a, then a rereading of that would be this in Matthew chapter seven, verses one and two, a, a rewriting in light of that perspective. One should not judge others more harshly or by a different standard than one judges oneself. It's as if Jesus is saying the best way to do life is to keep this in mind. 
the best way to kind of engage in this new reality, this new kingdom of heaven sort of mindset is to not judge others on a different standard than you, by which you judge yourself. And this is really self-incriminating because this is really difficult. This one hits a lot closer to home because even though you may have not told anybody else recently on Facebook or life or whatever, you know, you're condemned to hell or, you know, whatever, like this ultimate condemnation, this far right side of the spectrum condemned. I feel like we've done this. This shows up in marriages a lot. This might not show up in dating, but it shows up in marriages or like long-term relationships where you're trying to like live two lives as one. All right. Uh, this, this is present when, um, when, when there's conflict, when there's competition, when there's just two people trying to make this whole thing make uh, sense in this way. When two independent lives start operating as one, watch out. And then when it comes down to like the nitty gritty details of, of this life, um, it's also very interesting to me. Isn't it interesting? Most of the people who are complaining about how many people are at Home Depot are at Home Depot. <laughs> Isn't that funny? God, it's so crowded in here. What's the problem with it? Why is everybody here? Why are you here? <laughs> right? I mean, I used to, when we lived in Seattle for a year, I complained about the weather and the traffic almost every day. And because it was really bad. We were right on four or five and it was terrible. I would get in the traffic and Kylie's in the driver, in the passenger seat. And I'd be like, why are so many people driving right now? And she's like, she, she's better at this than me. And she'd be like, because they're trying to go somewhere. She's trying to be nice, right? And I'm like, yeah, but why now? And she's like, why are we going anywhere right now, right? I mean, like, I complain about the traffic, but then I'm also contributing to the problem because I'm there. Slightly ironic, slightly on myself. I judge other people to different standards than by which I judge myself. And we all have our reasons. We all have our excuses for why we're the exception and the rule doesn't apply to us. But like we all know, excuses are like buttholes. We all have them and they all stink. So knock it off with the condemnation peace. You're not the judge. You've got bigger issues to worry about, and they're primarily about you. You want to operate with more wisdom? You want to be more whole as a person? Want to be happier in general, according to Jesus? Don't judge others more harshly or hold them to a different standard than by which you judge yourself. And I'm talking to you, Brent, as you listen to this message. And if your name happens to be Brent, I don't know if you caught it, but I was just talking about myself. Um, but this is absolutely true for us. And I think that's the piece that Jesus had in mind as he talks about this idea of judging. And it's not necessarily condemning, although it's probably included in that. Like it's definitely a better way to do it. But a more practical and applicable way of thinking about it is don't hold them to standards you wouldn't be willing to hold yourself to. So next week, the big finale of Now What? I hope you can be a part of it as we continue this. Thank you so much for watching online. I've got a couple of quick announcements. If you're not interested, you can shut it down now. But if you're still interested, um, here are the announcements for this week. Uh, one, uh, below this screen is a connect card portion. We'd love to hear who's watching, uh, who's with you, a little bit more about updates uh, in life, prayer requests, anything that you've got going on there, um, perhaps some next steps. Uh, we'd love to know that. If you 
are first-time guests and somebody sent you this link or you were browsing the internet and you just happened to find it, one, we're glad that you're here. We would love to show you this in person sometime. We, hope, we are hoping to get to, back to that spot soon. Uh, but in the meantime, if you would let us know that you're here by marking that box on that Connect card that says first-time guests, we have a thing where we donate money to a different organization doing good things locally and globally. And for the month of May, we are donating money to Second Harvest Tri-Cities, a food bank in the area. Well, it's not really a food bank. It's a food sorting area that feeds the food banks that gets in the hands of the people who need it. So let us know that you're here so we know how much to donate, uh, and then we'll make that happen. As many of you probably heard uh, this last week, uh, that President Trump came out and made a statement about uh, churches uh, being able to open. Um, as per- probably you already know too, um, our governor in this, the state of Washington has said no to that. Uh, and so there's this big thing going on. And as we understand, as I personally, or we understand kind of how federal government works, we are um, submitting to the authorities in this way. And we are going to c- continue to choose uh, to remain uh, only open uh, via online services and until something changes. We hope that that's soon. We really do. Um, we we want to get back as soon as possible, but uh, uh, we want to make sure that this is safe and, and everything that goes along with that. And we really, uh, again, too, a perspective on it is not just safety, although that's top priority. Another perspective for us is that we want to be a church where people don't typically like church. And we feel like... Um, by stepping out and being like, um, you know, we're the ones being persecuted or we're doing this or, or we're going we're gonna to open up at, at, a, at a risk. I just don't know that a person who doesn't like church looks at that and admires that and says, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Um, and so um, I'm not trying to, please don't take that as me judging other churches for doing whatever they're going to do. Um, it's just for us, like our target audience, we're so committed so committed to people who don't typically like church and changing their mind about what church means and, and who God is, um, that we'll do whatever it takes and we'll stay as long as it takes to make that a reality. Um, and so anyways, um, with that in mind, that's kind of where we stand on the issue. We'll keep you posted again, as always, um, eastlaketricities.com slash coronavirus or corona updates, or just check your Eastlake Weekly that we send out each week uh, to give updates on that. Um, it looks like stage four for us, which is sometime mid-July, late July, who knows, but um, that's our next step. So, um, oh, and last but not least, um, we tried to do an elementary, East Lake Elementary Zoom call a couple of weeks ago. We had some technical issues because of Zoom um, or us, maybe probably us, but uh, we are redoing that today at 11 o'clock. So about 20, 25 minutes from now uh, on our, um, if you look at our, um, our main website, there'll be a link on there. Or if you check your weekly, uh, there was a link in there. If you have a kindergarten through fifth grade student that wants to jump on and talk with Becky and some of the other leaders in there and just see Facebook of other kids. Uh, it's a really fun, they did like a, a scavenger hunt last time through their house. And um, we, we'd love for you to be a part of that. It's our, 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 a small way of us doing something to kind of reintegrate some sort of level of normalcy for these kids. And uh, yeah, anyways, that will be on there. Thank you so much for being a part of this today. We are going to read a benediction and then get on the way for the rest of your week. Here's what it says. Let the moments and the hours of this day reverberate with sounds of our singing, with the words of the psalm, and with the praises we offer to you. Amen. May that go with you this week, whatever it is you're facing. Have a great week. We love you, we miss you, and we'll see you soon.